This morning's scripture reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let me echo my welcome for those of you who are here this morning and are visiting with us. We are glad that you're here and hope that you'll stay around for a few minutes so that we can get a chance to get to know you. For those of you who are members, thank you so much for your attendance, for your presence here today. And once again, our aim, our goal is always to glorify God and to edify, to build up one another. And that's the reason why we've assembled here this morning. Aren't you glad that nothing or that everything doesn't have to necessarily go flawlessly if you will, throughout the worship in order for it to be acceptable to God. Sometimes technology fails us. Sometimes we fail ourselves. Sometimes uh, there are things that happen that may cause our minds to drift a little bit or cause our minds to distract just a bit. But we understand that God still looks at us and he still accepts us through Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful thing to think about. I know some of you have an interest in, uh, and if you've looked at your study sheet, you notice that, the, that on the back side of the uh, study sheet that I've given you, there is a song there. Um, what I intend to, do and, uh, intend to do as a monthly series is, um, beginning this evening, start out with a song that we haven't uh, perhaps known as a congregation. Um, this one is Only a Holy God. It was one of the ones that we learned at Camp Bandina this year. But what I'd like to do is to, uh, to, particularly with songs that have been written in the last 20 years, there are a whole lot of them that really are very, very deep and very very, very uh, spiritual with regard to the meaning. And this is one that we sing around the Baker household almost uh, continuously. And uh, I really want us to, to learn this song, but especially to learn the theology, the message of God behind it. So that what we're going to do is take this song this evening, we're going to sing it through a couple of times, and then we're going to learn uh, the message about what it is we're singing about our holy God. So if you're interested in that, I hope that you are. Come back this evening, and we're going to begin that this evening, and um, hopefully it'll be something that encourages us as the church. We're talking this morning about fathers and children, as, of course, you see on the screen behind you. Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6 are very relationship-oriented passages. They're very relationship-oriented passages. And when we talk about the church of Christ, as that's what is under discussion there in the book of Ephesians, you find that, of course, he's going to talk about how we relate to one another. But as we've been talking about for the last several weeks, about how we relate to one another within the home. Do you realize that every relationship that you have, whether that be father to son, whether that be husband to wife or wife to husband, whether that be employer to employee, whether that be friendships, relationships, things that we have in common with other people, for Christians, those relationships ought to edify and ought to glorify the God who we serve. Every relationship we have it doesn't matter how trivial, ought to be something that encourages and helps people to understand more of the glory of God based upon us being in their lives. That's one of the reasons why we've been talking all this year about shining and about letting our light so shine before men so that they can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. It doesn't talk about let your work so shine before wives or husbands or, or children or, or friends or neighbors or coworkers. By him just saying, men, let your light so shine before men, it gives us an understanding that every relationship that we have ought to be something that glorifies and exalts 
our Father in heaven. But it's also such that we are, as David almost spoke about this past Wednesday evening, seasoning the world around us, changing it by us being salt and by us being light in Matthew chapter 5 so that people can better understand the God that we serve. So they can say there's something different about you in this relationship that we have that's different than anything else I see in anybody else's life and anybody else's relationship. Christians, there's something different about you. In our relationships, how we interact with other people ought to betray that, ought to show that. And so we get this morning to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Don't, don't, uh, don't keep poking at your children until they become wrathful, but rather bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. There is a question that I have immediately off the bat as I get to this passage. Because if you go on after this, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5, he's going to talk about employer-employee relationships. You look up previously in the passage and you see that he's talking about the husband and wife relationships. And especially he's talking about the children relationship to the parents. We talked about that last week. Why is it that especially Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 doesn't say fathers and mothers don't provoke your children to wrath? That seem curious to you. Again, I've got a big question mark on my mind as to why that is. And when we look at this, why is it especially that Ephesians 6 verse 4, certainly it applies to mothers. We don't want mothers to be people who poke their children until the point where they just blow up in their faces. We understand that that applies. But why is it specifically that he mentions fathers here? Did you ever consider that? Did you ever think about why that is? I think there's a principle here that we dare not forget. When we have a family, as God hasn't designed it, where you have father and mother helping and raising children together, there is a spiritual danger in the mother always being the driving force, spiritually speaking, in the family. And what's going to happen is if you always have the mother who is the one who is the one who sets the spiritual direction, who sets the spiritual guide for that family, there's going to be some formidable things that are happening in the lives of those children and not necessarily for the better. If you have the mother who is setting the direction, what's going to happen is for sons, for boys, it's going to give them the impression that spirituality, that religion, that Christianity is really just for the women. If mom is always the one to say, all right, kids, say your prayers. All right, kids, we're going to bow our heads before we, we partake of this meal. Let's, let's have a prayer together. If the mom is always the one who's going to say, kids, have you read your Bible today? Kids, have you, uh, it's time to get up. It's time to go to worship. If the mom is the primary spiritual force behind the activities, the spiritual activities of the family, you're going to have a child that grows up and believes that spirituality is not really for me. It's just for those women. Think about this. From this perspective, if the mother is always the spiritually driving force, the predominant spiritual force of the family, for the daughters, for the daughters, it's really going to damage their picture, their portrait of God's heart in their minds. Who is God? God is described repeatedly through Scripture as Father as the one who loves us, as the one who guides us, as the one who helps us, as the one who protects us, as the one who nurtures us and brings us along. I don't see that in my life. I don't see that in my life as a daughter in the family because my dad is MIA when it comes to spiritual things. 
It's my mom that's always doing this. You never understand and get a good picture of what it is to be a to have a good spiritual father if the mother's always the spiritual driving force. I think most of all, if you always have a one parent, particularly the mother, who is doing that, it takes away, it detracts from a oneness that's to be there in the house that should emanate from the household leadership. So many families, brothers and sisters, have been destroyed by parents, by families, by when parents have failed to properly look at and respect God's plan and God's design for the home. That the father is the one who leads and the mother is the one who supports that lead. And the children are the ones who are rendered that obedience, as we talked about, that submission to their parents so that the family can be everything that God wants it to be. And when that works, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, something that is a seasoning and, a, and an enlightening thing. But when it's taken for granted, when we think that we can subvert the plan of God and still get the good results at the end, sometimes we may be deceiving ourselves. And please understand, this is to take away nothing from single parents. This is to take away nothing. You may be the only dad trying to raise your kids. You may be a, a mother trying to raise your children. Again, God's grace can still work in your home. But as far as the ideal goes of what we're talking about, why is it especially that fathers are written to here in this passage as not being disturbing, detracting factors in the lives of their children? Let's define a couple of words this morning as we take a look at this. We want to be fathers and parents who love and instruct without being harsh and overbearing. Because loving and instructing, there's a recognition that our children are ours for a short time, that they can be his forever. Our children are a sacred trust. They are ours for a short time, that they can be his forever. Let's look first at what it means to provoke your children. What does it mean to provoke them to, for wrath? word provoke here in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 means this. To rouse with anger, to exasperate, to enrage. The literal word means to be beside yourself with anger. Anybody ever been there? Where it's almost like you're having an out-of-body experience because somebody has made you so mad because they have angered you in such a way that it's like you're watching somebody else that's standing there trying to comprehend and come to terms with what's going on. There is a parallel passage to this that you might write down, and it's in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 21, it says basically this, fathers don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. That word for provoke is different than this word for provoke. This word means to stir up resentment, to stir up bitterness, to incite to annoyance or to anger. Again, the idea is exasperation. You know, fathers, we have a propensity to be able to do this pretty easily in the lives of our family, don't we? You've been a father for any length of time. You know that there's probably something in you that you can see how, you, how easily you've been able to do this for somebody else. Sometimes we can do it without even trying too hard or really trying at all in some cases. And please understand here at this point, I'm not picking on dad jokes. I'm not picking on dad jokes at all. You, you know when a regular joke becomes a dad joke, right? When it becomes a parent. When it becomes a parent. Or two peanuts walking down a street, one of them was assaulted. Never mind. Okay, dad jokes. There are some times that dads can make eyes roll without really even trying. 
And there are some times that there are some things that we do as fathers that are not a joke at all. Consider this just for a moment. Here are just a couple of ways that fathers, we can really provoke our children to wrath without really even trying or at all. One of the things, one of the best ways that we can provoke our children to wrath is by being a hypocrite, by saying one thing and doing another. I think we assume sometimes as parents, we can get away with things because we're the parents and our children are none the wiser, that our children will never see and they'll never know that we're trying to set down the standard for them but don't watch mom and dad because we say and we do not do. That's Matthew 23, verses 1 through 3. That's just like the Pharisees because they would lay down the law and then they would say, here's all the reasons why we're above the law. Here's all the reasons why we don't have to do the law. Maybe, kids, when you're older, you can do these things that mom and dad can do that are sinful. But not right now. Not while you're living in my house. God doesn't want us to be hypocrites. God doesn't want us to be parents because that's going to be one of the things that helps provoke our children to wrath. Consider this number two. How about always blaming and never praising? Child comes home with a math test. And on the math test, you take a look at it and the child is so proud and they slide it across the table and they got a 90 on the math test out of 100. And the natural reaction is to go, okay, let's see what you got wrong. <laughs> let's look. Well, it's not 100, is it? And we also want our kids to do better, don't we? Doesn't that come from a place where we want our kids to improve and we want them to do better? But if all we're ever doing is just pointing out all the ways that they failed and we're never saying, I'm so proud of you. I know you studied so hard for this test. I know that you wanted to get such a good grade on this. And, and, and next time, I know that you're going to do better. If we're always just blaming and looking for the reason why this child has failed in our eyes, you can anticipate that that child's going to bear some resentment towards us as fathers. And they're going to look at us and say, I don't ever want to take anything to my father because I feel like always that he's just being critical of me, that he's just trying to pare me down every single time, when in reality that may not be going on in my mind as a father. How about being inconsistent and unfair in discipline? You want to really bear some resentment or cause some resentment of your home. Take the line, the standard for discipline. Take the standard for doing what's right and doing what's wrong and move that line every now and again. Move that boundary here based upon, well, look at this next one. Based upon who, who commits that transgression to home. Well, I, I really like my, 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 this oldest daughter more than I like the other two. And so what I'm going to do is, even though she's violated the same, even though she's complicit in this, this command, I'm going to give her a lesser punishment because you know, I like her better. Well, that didn't work out well for Jacob and Esau. And how Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob, that bore some real animosity, not only with the brothers, but that was something that was actually transferred down into, it was a, a lesson, a life lesson, a, a, a a series of passages that, you know, Jacob learned in his own household. You remember the Jacob, whenever he had those sons, there were 11 of them that were okay, but then there was the golden boy, there was Joseph. And you remember all the animosity that was born by those other brothers based upon Jacob's favoritism of Joseph. When we as fathers begin to move the line or the standard of discipline or to try and pretend like it doesn't matter, or pretend like one child, or behave like one child is less deserving than another of this kind of punishment, then we can bring down a lot of wrath and a lot of exasperation in our homes. How about being a person who makes a promise and doesn't keep it? Makes a promise and doesn't keep it. 
Son, I promise you, I will be there at your game this afternoon. And son's looking around whenever the game starts. Where's dad? He promised he'd be here. Dad saw work as more important than being a person of his word and keeping his promise. What's going to happen the next time dad promises something? Again, our children are forgiving. Our children understand, but if we have a pattern of breaking promises and breaking promises and breaking promises and not being people of our word, there comes a time where the child's going to say, there's no stock that I can place in dad's word or mom's word based upon what they've told me that they are going to do. You want to exasperate, you want to irritate, you want to build some resentment in your kid's life, be a person who makes a promise and then doesn't keep it. Consider this. How about making light of problems that to the children are very important? Once again, I think that we as fathers have a very marked propensity for being able to do that. Especially when they get into the teenage years and you understand that there's a lot of drama and a lot of heartache and a lot of things that come along with uh, the hormones, the flood of hormones in the teenagers' bodies. And there's sometimes that dads just want to go, oh, will you stop belly aching? Oh, just stop it. I don't want to hear it. We all are there. But then what happens whenever the child comes to you with a problem, oh, you're just being dramatic. Oh, just stop it. Just you know, that's, that's, that's nothing. That's nothing. You don't need to worry about that. When in reality, sometimes what the child's wanting more than anything is just for somebody to listen to them and lend a sympathetic ear. It's one of the hardest things I've found to do is just stop talking. Stop trying to fix. Stop trying to do anything, but just listen. And when we learn to listen, we become people that our children feel like that they can come to. Before we leave this point... Aren't you glad that God as a father doesn't do any of these things? Aren't you glad that God in his goodness, God in his love, is not a God who's going to make promises and then go, oops, I had something more important. Oops, I don't have to keep this. Aren't you glad God is never going to be described as hypocritical because he says one thing and because he does another? Aren't you glad that God is not a God that just points out all the difficulty and all the, the, the wrongs and all the sins and all the, 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 the failures and all the faults that we have? Because you know he's the one that could do it. Sometimes all I can see as a parent is just what's on the surface. But what God can do is he can look right in my heart and say, I, I saw you think that. I know that that was going through your mind. Aren't you glad God is a God who in his love and in his goodness doesn't do any of these things? Fathers, if I can encourage you in one way this morning, we're not done encouraging you. Be a parent like God. Be a father like God. Establish some consistency with regard to your spirituality. Establish some consistency with regard to looking to his word and saying, this is the ultimate standard, not only for my life, but the lives of those who live in my family, those who live in my home. I want my children not to be provoked to wrath, but I want to help them and encourage them and strengthen them and know that I'm somebody that they can always count on. No matter, no matter, no matter if they find themselves in the unenviable position of being that prodigal, of seeing my goodness as a father and choosing to go the opposite direction and choosing to go off into that far country and stay there until they are literally starving and waiting for the pods that the swine want to eat. I want my kids to know something about my character that they can always come home, that I'm always going to be good 
And again, I'm not God, but I can aspire to be like God. That's the negative. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. That's the negative. That's what God wants us to take out of our lives. And I love the fact that scripture is such that it never tells us to take out something out of our lives without putting something back in its place. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but here's a contrast. What does he want us to do? What's the biblical positive alternative? He says, bring them up. That's the first part. Nourish to maturity. The Hebrew or the Greek word, as I understand it, has the idea of fattening them up. Fattening them up. I used to go to my grandparents' house, and my grandmother would always look at me. She'd say, oh, you're too skinny. You're too skinny. Let me fatten you up. And again, she's not you know, looking for the day of slaughter. She's looking to, to make sure that I have everything that I need, that I'm, uh, I'm well-fed, that I'm nourished that, to, to her liking. I don't know if that meant you know, uh, 100 pounds overweight or what before she'd finally stop feeding me, but you understand. There's something about looking and saying, this is a way that that child needs to grow. This is something that this person is lacking. I'm going to feed that for them. I'm going to help them to understand that this is what needs to happen. There is a whole training and education that's brought up in this word. A cultivation not only of their mind, but also their morals. Parents, it is not just your job to make sure that your child's mind gets all of the arithmetic facts, all of the reading facts, all of the things that they need in order to pass their SAT so they can leave your house one day. It's not just about the mind, it's also about the heart. The word nourish means I see this lacking in my child's life. I see this way that they're failing morally. My child has told me lies and I want to make sure that I correct that. Nourish. I want to feed them and I want to help them with this character attribute where they are deficient, where they're lacking. That's an instruction that aims at increasing their virtue. Bring them up in the nurture, the whole training and whole education of their mind and morals. But also the admonition. That's not a word we use very often, is it? Admonition, that's a a New King James word. Some of yours may uh, use one of these synonyms. Encouragement. Calling attention to. Some passages talk about it in terms of warning. And you realize this word is a word that's only used three times in your New Testament. And you say, Andy, I don't necessarily know as a father what to admonish my child about. Just for a moment. I want you to realize one of these passages has something to say about admonition that I think is worth looking at. Titus chapter 3 verse 10 is talking about somebody who is a heretic in some translations. A divisive man. He says... Reject him after the second and third admonition. So here's a guy who just wants to split the church, contrary to what we talked about this morning Bible class and the adult class. Here's a guy who's going to bring in a doctrine that's false or that's uh, an idea that's just, uh, that's not worth entertaining. And he's going to say, no, 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 I'm going to make this a matter of fellowship. He says, you admonish him once. You admonish him twice. After three times, you reject a man like that and say, that's it. I can't entertain this anymore. You have been trying to split what God has tried to unify. However, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 just for a moment. Hold your finger here. We'll be right back. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I see that Paul is making a statement about how we're faithful but understanding the penalties and the consequences of trying to think that we're something that we're not. 
And as he's doing this, note how he begins there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that our fathers passed under the cloud and were passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And all drank the same spiritual food and drank the spiritual drink, for, the drink, uh, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. All right? Paul establishes this, this foundation to say, here were Israelites, God's people. And even though they were baptized the same way we are baptized into Christ, they were baptized into Moses, he said they all were nourished and they were all fed the way that God wanted them to be. However, begin in verse 4, or verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Here are the people of God that God has had to deal with uh, uh, with discipline, with corrective discipline based upon their fact that they wouldn't listen to instructive discipline. And you say, Andy, what do I need to admonish my kids about? What does this passage talk about? Look at verse 6. Now these things came our examples to the intent that we should not, here's one, lust after evil things as they also lusted. I don't want my kids to be people who are desirous of that which this world has to offer. Lust. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. Verse 7, don't become idolaters. There's the second one, as some of them. Idolaters, Andy, I thought that we don't bow down to little idols. Well, when you get to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 would talk about those people who are covetous. Those people who have the stuffitis who just want more and more and more and they're desirous to, to have the biggest house on the block and have the nicest car and they have all those things, Paul would say that person's an idolater. I don't want my kids to be lustful of evil. I don't want my kids to be idolaters. What else? Verse 7, don't become idolaters. Verse 8, nor commit sexual immorality. Old King James says fornication, as some of them did, and one day 23,000 fell. I had one teacher in school that told me this, and I've never forgotten it. In our culture, all roads lead to fornication. All roads lead to sexual immorality. And when you listen to the words of the songs that some of our kids are listening to, and you look at the messages that they're being told day after day after day on what's popular and what's attractive, and you look at the messages of the movies that we see, you see that sexuality and sexual impurity is a key focus on what our world is telling children. I don't want my kids to be a part of that. I don't want my kids to tear apart what happens whenever a man tries to join with a woman outside of the bonds of marriage. That's not God's plan. And there is a whole lot of heartache that can result as a result of people seeking after those things. Verse 9, let us not tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Here's an attitude of rebelliousness. I know this is what they said. I know this is what the Bible said, but let me see how close I can get to the line without going over. Let me see if I can go over the line and what's going to happen. And verse 10, nor, what's the last one? Complain, as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. I don't want my kids to be skilled in complaining like a lot of us are. I don't want my kids to have a words out of their mouths that the first thing is just tearing down something about why I wish this was different or why I wish this, this couldn't be the same or why it is that I feel like things are different. I don't want our kids, you shouldn't want your kids to be people that are skilled at complaining. You want a good list of things to look at with regard to your kids, to look out for, 
and to bring our kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, look out for these things, admonish them in this. And note, this is back to the original point. He said, Andy, you're preaching a different sermon. Look at verse 11. All these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. Here's the same word that we're looking at over here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. God says, people of God, these are the things I want you to concentrate on. These are the things that destroyed the people that would have inherited the land of Canaan. And it destroyed them because they were unwilling to yield to the word of God. They were unwilling to yield to their good father. And we need to yield to our good father, especially with regard to these things. Otherwise, we may miss the promised line the same as they did. And parents, we have a responsibility to make sure that our kids are brought up where they're not learning these things from the world, but rather that we are turning those things around and saying, what does God want? What's God's will? What's his way for us? How does he want us to behave? How does he want us to respond? How does he want us to, to deal with this problem without complaining, but rather giving thanks, enjoying the time that we have together? So the question is, am I doing these things and bringing up my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because in reality, as a father, I can be bringing up my children in the nurture and admonition of a lot of different things. I'm going to bring up my children in the nurture and admonition of the coach. And I want him to listen to that coach, and I want him to learn the right swing. I want him to know, you know, what's the difference between a good pitch and a bad pitch. I want him to know the difference between a, a, a blitz and between a, a, um, all these different defenses. I want my child to know the nurture and admonition so that they can be equipped to play on the sports field. I want to train my child up in the nurture and admonition of his teacher. I know this is the best math teacher that I can afford, and therefore this math teacher is going to teach my children as he's going to teach my children. I want my kids to know how to divide, how to multiply. And I'm going to sit with my child, and I'm going to study that with them, and I'm going to say, all right, all right, you got to carry the one here. All right, now well, we got to find a common denominator. And we can bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of their math teacher. But the focus of Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6 whether it's a wife submitting to her husband or a husband loving his wife or a child rendering obedience to their parents or parents not provoking their children to wrath but bringing up in the nurture and admonition, the phrase of the Lord is common all the way through this passage because we can neglect the most important part of our child's development because we have failed to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let me give you five or so things of what we as fathers, what we as parents can provide for our children. I'm going to give you the acronym MEALS, M-E-A-L-S. Something easy for you to remember, MEALS. Parents provide MEALS. Number one, parents, we need to be models. Models. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Philippians 4, verse 9, the things that you or learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do. Why could Paul command and tell the Philippians that, they needed to follow him. They needed to follow his example because he lived following after his good father. Parents, are you very good models for your kids? Sometimes we can think we are. One of the best ways to evaluate that is to say, kids, what do you think about your dad? Are there ways and things that you see me doing and things that you, uh, ways that you see me behaving that, that you have questions about? What kind of model are you for your children? E. Experience, experience, 
God gave you the children that you, gave, that you have because there's something about you and about your life that our kids can learn from you. Proverbs chapters 1 all the way through chapter 7 especially begin almost every single chapter with the admonition, my son, listen to me. My son, hear the teaching of your father. I want you to take the teaching of your mother and hang it around your neck. Son, listen. Can you imagine Solomon writing that to a rebellious Rehoboam, knowing the fact that his son had this tendency that he wanted to be his little finger thicker than his father's waist? 1 Kings chapter 12. And Solomon just trying to grab his son by the coat and say, listen to me, pay attention to me. Everyday experiences that we have with our children are opportunities so that we can provide them experience that we've gotten, either positive or negative, helping them to grow or helping them to shrink. Let me say this one more thing before we stop. Beware, parents. If you are a prodigal or were a prodigal, be careful that as you give your life and your conversion, or maybe the fact of your life as a, as a member of the church, beware that you keep away from this attitude that I was proud to be the prodigal. Kids, let me tell you all about the fun your dad used to have when he was in the far country. Oh, let me tell you, I, know, I don't want those things for you. What message are you sending? It's okay, we send our kids off so that they can sow their, sow their wild oats. We don't want to cultivate that spirit of rebellion and fear in our children. Any experience you share needs to be tempered by the fact, number one, that God has been merciful to me, but also that my child is going to have to give an account for God one day, and I'm going to have to give an account by how I shared something sinful with them and trying to, well, and shaping their minds and their hearts about it. MEA, authority, authority. Parents, you are not there to be your child's friend. It's good if there's a friendship that it can develop, but as a superior, so to speak, to an inferior, as one who has the authority of God upon you, you have a responsibility to teach your child. You have a responsibility to shepherd your child, to shape your child's mold them and mold their character. You're not there to be your child's friend. You're not there to have a child for your shopping companion. You're not there to give teacher a piece of your mind anytime your child comes back with a bad grade. We have on our day the lawnmower parents, right? The ones who want to mow down any kind of obstacles or anything that goes in front of our kids so that they can have a smooth ride. Listen, one of the ways that your kid is going to grow the most is when they suffer. That's the way Jesus learned obedience is through the things he suffered. And the biggest times of character development is when you can be there, when they hold an F on their paper and you say, all right, let's see what we can do in order to try and make this not happen again next time. All right, you need to study more, absolutely. Let's go to tutoring. Let's, let's sit down every evening and work on this math fact. Let's do these things together. Instead of calling that teacher up and going, how dare you flunk my child? As if it's the teacher's fault. When we look at ourselves and we see ourselves with our children, do we recognize there's an authority, a sacred trust God has given us? L, we need to be a house that's full of love. The more loving we are, the more like God we are. 1 John 4, verse 8, God is love. Parents, one of our primary responsibilities is to provide love and care for these children. Love being clearly and carefully communicated. There was a survey of grade school children not too long ago. And the, the question was just simply asked, what do you think makes a happy family? 
And it wasn't cars. It wasn't video games. It wasn't the biggest house. It wasn't my own room. It wasn't uh, the best car that we have with the uh, uh, navigation, the, the in-cabin in, in, uh, in entertainment. It wasn't anything about that. The majority of kids said the thing that makes a loving family is doing things together. Doing things together. Love. Demonstrated. Giving attention and time to family instead of reaching for more and for the better. Last one, safety. Parents, we have a responsibility to provide safety for our children. And I'm not just talking about having a lock on the door. One of the last things Catherine has me do every single night is to walk through the house and make sure the garage door is shut, make sure the garage door is locked, make sure the front door is shut and locked, make sure the back door is shut and locked, make sure that all the windows are closed. She wants us to be safe. I appreciate that. But do you realize there's more opportunity for ungodly influences to enter your home than just through the front door, the back door, the garage? And if I, as a parent, am not looking at my child and saying, this is not safe for them, then I'm failing in my responsibility as a parent. Dads, listen. One last admonishment. Modesty. You have a daughter who is, comes down the stairs and she is wearing something that's too short. She's wearing something that's cut too low. Dad, don't put that on mom to make her deal with that problem. Dad, as the spiritual leader of the household, you have a responsibility to help your daughter make a better choice with regard to how she's dressed. Now, there's one of two ways that can happen with this. There is no way that you're leaving my house dressed like that. What's that going to do? Ephesians 6 verse 4, probably that's going to provoke a fight. That's going to provoke the child at wrath. However, dads, as one who knows what that's going to do to those young boys who are also flooded with hormones, isn't it our responsibility to say, sweetheart, I love you too much to let you leave the house dressed like that? You realize that if men see you as an object, you know what they're going to do? They're going to treat you like an object. That's bringing up the child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Sweetheart, God wants you to be covered. Sweetheart, God wants you to be a person who glorifies him, both body and soul. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, and let's talk about the attitude and the conduct of a person who's trying to please him. Because those garments are not anything that's going to glorify him. They're just going to create problems and heartaches for you down the road. There's a difference between correcting in a way that's going to incite riots in, in your house and correct in a way that's going to help the child understand this is the God we serve and this is what he wants of us. Friends, they are ours for a short time that they can be his forever. And fathers, we play a key role in the lives of our children. Parents, we play a key role in the lives of our children. And God wants us to be people and parents like him. I thank you for your attention this morning. We're going to offer an invitation at this time. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who recognizes that they haven't necessarily been the parent that they ought to be. If we can pray with you and pray for you, we'd love to do that. Maybe there's somebody who's dealing with something in their life that's, that's personal, of a personal nature, that they just need the prayers of the church. Once again, part of what we do here this morning is encouraging one another in the ways that are right. And if we can pray with you about that, if we can enlist 200 people plus in praying for you and praying for your problem, James says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Maybe there's some here who is ready to obey the gospel, to put Christ on in baptism, to become a disciple of his for the rest of their life. Maybe somebody's been thinking a lot about that and thinking about how great 
our God is and how rich a salvation is through Jesus Christ. Don't delay any longer. Make it a point to come this morning as we stand and sing our invitation song.